You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Wow. It's almost like you were coached into that moment. It was incredible. Um, I always, you know, we talked about a 30, 30 second video and you think, man, I can pack a lot into it. And you're like, man, it is, it is such little time to try and communicate. And the flashing stuff is like, puts you into seizure mode. It's like, what just, what did I actually just see? Um, no, it's, it's such a, a privilege truly to, to be here. Um, the fact that you guys have welcomed our team, Overland Missions, um, so incredibly well all weekend. I know I've heard from so many of our team members just saying, hey, this church is awesome. You know, they, they don't just love Jesus. They don't just love the kingdom. They, they're leaning into the Great Commission, and, and, and it's a group of people zealous um, to, to be wholehearted and free will offerings to the Lord, and um, praise God for that. So, you know, our team just says a huge thank you to everyone who's been involved, leadership, and those of you who've come and, and leaned into the meetings. Uh, we're, we're extremely grateful for this weekend and, and um, for the partnership as well uh, that we pray continues to increase. And uh, as much as we wanna see God shake things throughout the nations, we wanna see God shake things right here in Indiana, PA, and, um, and pray that we get to also have a piece of that pie and, and, you know, be a part of what that looks like. But um, my wife is here, Jessie. She spoke at, um, I think, all the services from Saturday and this morning. My daughter, Kaya, might be outside with a, a little one. Um, and then my other two kiddos are with uh, grandparents in the northern panhandle of West Virginia. Jessie and I are from um, uh, Wellsburg, uh, Wheeling area, and uh, Went to school at Brook High and landed on the mission field basically right out of college. We were married immediately in six weeks out of that uh, finishing college. We hit the ground. And for the last 17 years, we have absolutely loved um, and been in awe of what God can do through a very simple word, yes. What God can do when you get in his presence, come into contact with him. That me? Okay, I'll hold it higher. <clears throat> uh, come into contact with his word, and, and that unction comes forth that just says, yes, or I believe. Um, if you heard Savior while he was up here, um, and, and just imagine, as hard as it is for you to understand Savior and his accent, think of poor Savior trying to hear country bumpkins <laughs> in West Virginia and PA and Ohio. And so I know at times like, what, what exactly did he say? He actually sounds fantastic these days compared to so many of the Zambian slang that you get in English and whatnot. You're, you're killing it. Um, he speaks eight languages as well. So there's that. For us Americans, you know, who speak our, our one language typically. Um, but did you hear the testimony? It was like he was going to church. He was doing the things that you do when you're a Christian. Um, but semi, you know, half-heartedly, 
admittedly so, as he said. And he was in a meeting and was called out. And listen, it wasn't, it wasn't anything special. The word of God was spoken over his life. But do you hear what he said? He said, I just decided to believe it. I just decided to believe in that moment that God's word was my word. And it changed everything. He said, I was like, it was like lighting a match to, you know, a bundle of, of, of dried out thatch and grass and just chucking it. And I'll tell you, in, if I look to my life and recognize if I had the, if, if I could have the opportunity to have one young man like this impacted for the glory of God, my whole life and missions is worth it. And yet, when you give your life to Jesus, and, and again, uh, yes, we're, we're going to rally and champion people to, to say yes to the Great Commission and to considering what it would look like to do a short-term or a long-term uh, you know, uh, exposure to the nations. Yes, I'm talking about that. And yes, I want to appeal that. And yes, I want you to consider it. But I want you to zero in to where you are right now and understand that the Great Commission begins right here. The Great Commission begins with exactly what are you planning to do when you leave those doors? With exactly what are you planning to do with the reality of Christ in you, the hope of your glory, tomorrow? When you go and sit with your wife or you sit with your husband or you sit with your kids, how are you going to represent the kingdom of heaven in all of its volume and all of its force? Because the reality is Christ dwells in you. And one of the things I get so frustrated by in this day and age is I hear not only, not only in sermons, but in worship and in praise. And I, I haven't heard it here. This isn't like a, a way for me to rebuke something. That I, uh, by the way, I'm going to say it in a general way. But truly, it frustrates me so much is when we spend time begging God for what he's already given us. We spend time crying out to God. Oh, God, if you would only give me, you know, this or that or the other. And you go to the word and say, but wait a minute. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And if it's a promise, which it is here, then you have it. And the thing that we're waiting on isn't for God to move. It's not for God to decide, does he love you enough yet? Have you, have you memorized enough scriptures? Have you performed well enough? Have you been to the mission field yet? Half the people land on the mission field because they think this is going to finally earn me my stripe. This is going to finally do the thing that's going to get me into that next level of Christianity. And in that level, whoa, you know, things get crazy. And then suddenly the favor of God will be on my life in a whole new way. It's like twisting God's arm. Look, I'm on the mission field now. You got to help me out in whatever way it is. No, that's not the word. God's waiting for that moment where you come into a place of surrender and say, I'm going to believe that your word is my word. That your truth is my truth. That your story is my story. That your mandate is my mandate. That your promise is mine. And I'm going to stand against everything that opposes that reality once and for all and say, I'm going to live my life so radically, so violently, so joyfully based upon the facts that you have said were finished when Jesus declared 2,000 years ago, it is finished. Because guess what? He meant it. 
He meant what he said. And the ramification of that statement when he said, it is finished, and the temple veil was tore from top to bottom. I mean, I can just see the hands of the Father grab that thing and say, I've waited for this moment for so long where my son would fulfill the mandate on his life and once and for all secure the redemption for all of humanity. And I can tear this vile thing that has stood between me and my people and where he tore that thing open once and for all, where now there's access to the Father. Where now Father God gets to be united with us, gets to have us say, is able to say, come, and we can run knowing there's no more shame. There's no more guilt. There's no more condemnation. The penalty of sin being once and for all paid for. And of course we know this, you're in an incredible church that preaches the word of God and preaches the Bible. And if you needed to stand in front of someone and declare the gospel, you could do it. You could say, Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. And because of that, you have an opportunity for redemption, for salvation, for heaven to be your eternity. We can all communicate that. And I grew up in a church that taught me those things. And yet somehow there was a massive component of his finished work that I was totally unaware of. You see, I grew up in a beautiful church. My parents are, to this day, lovely, God-fearing Christian people. I was the oldest of three boys. And um, I, I, I love the things of God as a young kid. I remember my favorite song was just the, the song that said, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. I was like, I just, I grew up with that understanding and, and I leaned into it. And I loved it. And yet, when I got to that age of, of um, uh, that teenage, you know, time frame where we, you know, us young people begin to explore and whatnot, it was like there was something in me that wasn't satisfied. There was something frustrated in me because while I knew that he paid the price for my sin, I was so frustrated at why I was dominated by the very thing he set me free from. I was so irritated by the thought that, wait a minute, but if I'm free, why do I feel like I'm bound? If heaven is my end, then is it just suffering until I get to that point? And it, you know, it kind of brought me to this point of like, what's the, what, is it even worth pressing into this at all and get to high school and to make my, you know, testimony very short, um, I, I got to that point in high school as a, as a freshman, it was like, I, I want to try the world out a bit. Because I don't know if this is satisfying me the way the word has told me. And, and if, if Jesus really is all these things that I've sung ab about and I just don't feel it. And, and I ran hard from God for four years. And, and in that time, I succeeded well in worldly standards. I was the captain of the soccer team and I was the valedictorian of the school and all those things that the world tells you, if you achieve this, you will be satisfied. And if you achieve this, you will, you, you know, you will have a future and a hope. And I got to be honest, senior year hit and I hated myself. I hated everything I stood for because I knew I was absolutely and utterly double-minded. I still went to church. I still sang the song. I still raised my hand. Anyone ever been there where you go through the motions, the mechanisms in place, but you know, there's nothing alive inside. There's nothing authentic. There's nothing genuine to it. And God's not after the show. I mean, right? If anyone can see through it, it's him. He's looking for authenticity. Are you in or are you not in? And I was singing all the songs, but inside I was saying, I can't wait to be anywhere else but here because I knew I was a fraud. And um, 
man, that, that wears on you day after day, week after week, month after month, and you get accolades and all these things and you think they're gonna fill the hole and then suddenly you find yourself running after sin and a little bit's not really doing it, so you think maybe a lot will do it. Anyone been there? And you're filling up with all the things that you know you're not supposed to be doing and actually you hate yourself for it because you know what the outcome's gonna be. It's not gonna fill that hole, but you just keep running after it. And... I hit that point as a 17-year-old where I was never at a point of suicide or anything like that, but I just, I hated my existence. I hated who I was. I hated what I stood for. I hated the fact that, you know, um, deep down inside, I knew Jesus Christ was king. I knew his word was true, and yet I'd lost, I'd lost the plot. And, um, you know, I refer to this moment Eight out, of time, eight out of 10 times I preached because this was the moment that changed everything for me. Came back from a weekend of partying and doing all the things in extravagance that I knew I didn't need to be involved in. Came back to my parents' home. They weren't at the house at the time. Went up, uh, we, we have a, an attic that I lived in. Went up into my room, dropped on my knees and just had one of those like for the first time in a long time, like, God, I'm not okay and I need help. And you know, what started out with a little bit of vulnerability turned into just deep sobs and crying out and saying, Lord, would you take me back? Like, would you even consider? Like, I realized, I knew, I tasted of, of your goodness. I knew of your love. I knew of these things. And yet in that moment, when sin comes in, listen, you cannot live in sin and grow in faith. Sin kills faith. Sin destroys belief. Sin, le sin leads to unbelief. You can't have both. You cannot live in sin and grow in grace and grow in victory and see a, a greater expression of Christ Jesus. And that's really what I was trying to do. I wanted both. God, could I have, oh, the comfort of knowing I'm yours and you're part of your kingdom and the joy and the peace and those things I tasted of, but can I also have all these things the world extended to me? And it just doesn't work that way. And as I sat there, laid there on the carpet, just crying out to God, the presence of God filled the room. And I'm so grateful that this word is not just a theoretical bunch of statements. I'm so grateful that when we read about the glory that fills the temple, there's a glory today that can fill the temple. There's a glory today. There is an anointing. There's a presence. God himself, the manifestation of all that he is, can fill the temple of your life and it'll change everything. And in that room, and I believe the reason God came that day was because I was finally getting to the heart of the matter. I was finally showing my true colors. He knew my true colors, but I was finally willing to face them and face the facts and say, God, these are the facts on the table and I don't know what to do. And out of that place, I became terrified because I hadn't been in the presence of God for quite a long time. And suddenly I just recognized, I knew his presence. He's in the room. He had always been there, but suddenly he made it very aware. He made me very aware of the fact that he was right there with me. And I began to tremble. I began to cry out. And, and, and really it was more of, okay, God, uh, please don't kill me. I remember that was the thought. It was like, he's here to kill me. I deserve hell. You know, I had been so separated from my understanding of him that no longer was he a loving father. No longer was he for me. Now he was an angry God. And that when he showed up, I was done for. He came to release the judgment and the wrath that I knew, that I knew I deserved. 
I was not gonna fight that argument. I knew I was fully deserving of hell and of his rejection, utter rejection of my life because I had utterly rejected him. And it was in that moment in my room where I got quiet and began to tremble that the presence of God continued to increase to where I couldn't bear it any longer. And for the first time in many, many years of my life, the voice of God penetrated my spirit. I'll tell you what he did not say. Jacob, you idiot. He did not lead with a massive rebuke. He did Now listen, maybe sometimes he will, but I'm just telling you my story. He did not lead saying, what were you thinking? You fool. All he said to me, because he knows, he knew exactly what I needed to hear. He knew exactly the key to unlock my heart. He said, Jacob, I still love you. It was my weakest, it was my darkest. It was the moment of my life where I knew that I knew that I knew that I deserved hell. And in that place of weakness and in that place of understanding my present state was when he chose to come, fill my room with his beautiful presence and communicate to me. And it was like, like any good father would, he pulled me close and he, and he informed me again, this is who I am. I'd forgotten who he was. Jacob, I still love you. That statement came to me. Now, I had, I had a decision to make. Just like Savior spoke about his testimony, just like so many of you who are here today, in that moment, I had to make a decision. Do I believe him? And I knew in that moment that that statement the power of that statement. We sang about the authority of God. I love that song. One word, you know, and the power and the authority of God. And, and in that moment, everything I hated about myself and every sin and heaviness and weight that I'd walked with for years was immediately driven away. In that moment, the peace of God hit my life so powerfully and so completely that I just said to God, if this is true, which I believe it is, I'll give you my life. I'm done. I'm done trying to fabricate my own future. I'm, trying to, I'm done trying to fabricate my own reality of, of, what, of what, you know, I can, I'm tired of trying to build my own thing. I'll give you my life. And as I said, at that point in my life, on a worldly spectrum, it seemed like things were going well. I had a lot of D1, D2 schools offering me full rides for soccer. My, my schooling was great. I was looking at aerospace engineering. I talked to, I, I was on the Olympic development team for, for West Virginia. Things were going well. And truly, utterly, I just said to the Lord, I'll give it all up. If you want to carve an entirely different path, it's yours. And you know what he said to me? That's exactly what I want to do. And... Um, when it's God, it's not a big wrestling match. Like when it's God, you go, okay. Because in that moment, I meant everything I said and I knew he meant everything he had said. It was like, if this is true, it's everything I've ever longed for. It's just satisfied every yearning I've ever had. It's just set me in a place to know that I will thrive all the days of my life because this, this thing, that's in, this intangible, this, this quality, this thing that has just come upon me based upon your truth, which is you love me, you're for me. And I ran downstairs, I sat with my parents 
my parents who love me and love the things of God and coached me to, to, to be all in for Jesus and said to them, hey guys, I just had a radical encounter with Jesus. I'm sure you know I've been, you know, uh, uh, my life's been in a bit of disarray and, and I've not been fully committed to the things of God. And I gotta tell you, I think I have to change my whole trajectory. And in that moment, you think everyone's gonna celebrate and be like, yeah. And I remember the, the panic in my dad's eyes as he's like, what do you mean everything's gonna change? Like your trajectory isn't that bad, son. You know, like let's stick with the, the schooling and let's stick with the things that are working and, and soccer. And I mean, he was my biggest champion. He was there for all my games. And I think he was as excited as, as, as I was at the career path that was being carved out and maybe professional soccer. And you know, these are the things that, that we, you know, have dreamed of and, and, and that you're excited about. And I was like, in that moment, it just didn't matter anymore. That's the power of God. In one moment, one encounter with the presence of God changed everything in my life. Here I am, I was a 17 year old, I'm 38 years old now, 21 years in, guys, that momentum has never left me. The power of that moment, I can talk, I've talked about it all the time. 21 years later, it brings me to tears. 21 years later, the goosebumps hit my arm. 21 years later, I'm still living out of the volume of what I encountered that day in the presence of God, where I recognized him. Had nothing to do with me, had to do with, I had a vision of God and I realized if that's who you are, I'm all in. If that's who you are, you're worthy of everything that I lose out on, on this earth which is even a hysterical concept because when you live your life, the things that you think you're gonna lose out on and the things that you gain in Christ, you're like, wait a minute, that was, it actually was no loss. It actually wasn't a sacrifice. Here's my life. And then you look at your life. 21 years later, I look back at my life and I think I couldn't have scripted a life that would have been better suited for myself, my wife, my kids. When, when Jesse and I, and, and so Jesse and I were best friends at that time and I, I, I was the kid that went back to the high school and stood up in the cafeteria and did the whole, all right, everybody, listen up. You know, I've been a fool. I've been a sinner. I've been, I've run from the things of God. It's not going to be me anymore. I'm committed to Jesus. And they're like, oh, what's going on with Jake? You know, I went radical really quickly and I saw Jesse and it was like the cloud lifted from my eyes and I realized, what am I doing? This isn't just my friend. This is the girl I need to marry. I grabbed a hold of her, said, come talk with me. I said, I had this amazing encounter with Jesus and I think we're supposed to get married and go on the mission field. She's like, I could see in her eyes, like, do I punch him in the nose now? She had been radical for Jesus and had been praying for me and, and considering, hey, Lord, I think this is the guy that I'm supposed to be with. And in those last few months, she had been like, I don't care if it is, I'm done. And she needed to get to that point because I was a mess. And here I am now saying, hey, I think, we're, you know, it would, please don't do that, by the way. It shouldn't have worked for me. It won't work for you most likely. Apply wisdom, listen to your pastor, listen to your leaders and do things. <laughs> Anyways, um, and very quickly, our lives got swept up in this incredible just momentum of the, 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 the move of God. And um, we, we went to our parents, she went to her parents, said, hey, Jake and I are gonna get married and go to the mission field. And they said, no, you're not. You're gonna go to college first. And my parents weren't quite as like over, overly like saying no, but they, they basically said the same thing. Like, hey, let's, let's do college. 
let's figure out, you know, some good organizations you can get plugged into. And so we, we did listen and we did university. She went to West Virginia University. I went to West Virginia Wesleyan and Buchanan. And, um, and amazing stories and, and, and testimonies that happened there. But I wanted to give that little background because I want to tell you when we talk about heroes of the faith, we talk about men and women of God who have changed the course of history. There are two basic pillars that are the same, that are, I mean, they're exclusively there every single time. Number one, it all began with the revelation of the love of God. I think of David who penned in the, in the book of Psalms. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I think of so many, you know, men and women who had a moment. I mean, think of the adulterous woman. They're all ready to stone her. Jesus kneels down to her and, and he basically communicates, listen, this is, not only does he say, I love you, but then he communicates even more profound words. This is not who you are. And I talked about at the beginning, you know, what was this thing that had evaded my understanding? And it was that. It was not only did Father bring me close and speak his love to me, but the next wave of revelation, and at that moment, it was revelation for me. It wasn't, it wasn't even his spoken word. It was an understanding he hit me with by his spirit that was, Jacob, are you ready to start behaving according to who you actually are? Are you ready to stand under the, under the identity that I forged for you 2,000 years ago? The same thing I finished in purpose in salvation, I finished in purpose in your empowerment and your expression on the earth. It all comes from Jesus. And this, this unbelievable journey that, that I began to, to embark on from that day as a 17-year-old fourth was this understanding was, wait a minute, the cross wasn't only about my being cleared of my sins, which, praise God, it was very much about my sins being washed as white as snow, but it was as importantly about me being established and set in, a, in, in such a way that I was gonna express a whole new thing in my life. It was about not only the pardon of God, but the empowerment of God on our life. And I began, you know, I dove into this exploration of not only was I being established in the love of God, but I was being established in understanding that everything his word said was true of my life. And I talked about those two pillars there. That's the second pillar is every radical man, woman of God has had a profound revelation of the love of God and a profound revelation that his word is true. And if they simply run with his word, everything will follow. And, you know, Jesse and I were, were so young in the things of God, we didn't have perfect theology on any level. In fact, at one point, I, I remember us, like we went through this crazy, like there was a, a demonic manifestation, whatnot, and we're like, we don't understand what's happening. We went to the Christian bookstore. She was on one side of the bookshelf. I was on the other side. She had pushed a book to grab it and a book fell on my head and it was about deliverance. We said, it must be the Lord. <laughs> like that, that was how, that, that's how we were being led at that point. I don't even think the book was a great one. I wouldn't recommend it, but like we were hungry and we're like, okay, we need understanding. And you know, in those, in those moments when you're, when you're radical about the things of God, what I love is that 
There's no such thing as radical without movement. If you're radical, then you start moving. If you're radical, you start doing something. I struggle to sit with people who convey to me, oh, my, my whole life, I've dreamed of, of being a missionary or I've dreamed of being a minister of the gospel. And, and it's just been my, my passion for all these years. And I love to then say, like, what have you done with that up to this point? Like, I'd love to hear then, like, tell me what are the endeavors that you've done and what's worked and what hasn't. And many times people can say, well, I've done this and thrown myself into that. And we can kind of tune in and say, well, maybe, you know, maybe this is the component that's been missing. If you feel like there's not been that, but many times as well, there's people are like, well, I've done nothing. I've been, I've just been waiting on the Lord. You know, I've been, I've been waiting on, on God to, to be very clear with me. And I've been waiting on God to have that, like, that moment in my bed where my bed shakes and the audible voice comes and says, you will go too. 17 years, 21 years, 17 years on the field, 21 years after that moment as a 17 year old, I've never had that moment yet. <laughs> He's never shook my bed in the middle of the night and said, Zambia. I just recognize, wait a minute, if this is who you are and your word is true and your word is clear that there is a commission called the Great Commission and that you not only gathered a ragtag team of 12 disciples that many of the rabbis of that day rejected, but you also grabbed 72 others and you grabbed these groups that don't even get named and they, were, and they went out and they, and they were commanded to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. If that was your mandate then, and I don't see anything in this beautiful understanding of your word that says it ended at any point. In fact, I see that it says it will become greater works and greater works and greater works until the day of your return. Then Lord God, I'll go. I'll just say yes. I don't know how this works, but I'm in. And as a 17-year-old, that's what we, as 17-year-olds, that's what we did. We found the first organization that could get us overseas. We landed in Zambia, Africa, ready to take on all of hell and establish heaven. And it was two years of utter death for us. First two years were extremely difficult and, um, and totally overwhelmed and nothing went as planned. Let me just tell you that if you give your life to the things of God, nothing will go as planned. That's a guarantee. You can take that one and take it to the bank and, and it, it, will, it, will, it will prove itself true time and time again. So often we think that saying yes to Jesus is gonna mean, well, I put the, I put the contract. When I said yes, this was the contract I gave him. It needs to look like this. He will burn that thing to the ground immediately. You're not, you don't get the right to say to the king, this is how it has to look. And some of us have not actually wholeheartedly said yes because we actually don't trust him. We're terrified of what that could look like. But if I give him my whole trust, then he could tell me to do this, that, or the other. Absolutely. This is not a democratic process. This is not the people's vote. This is not the people's choice. This is King Jesus who formed you in your mother's womb, who knows you intimately better than you know yourself, better than anyone else on this earth knows you, who understands and fashion you for a beautiful purpose and destiny. It's that king saying, let me lead you and guide you in this thing called life. And let me establish you at the beginning of that walk with me and tell you this, you have everything you need for life and godliness. I've given you everything you need to not only survive on this earth, but to thrive. 
I've given you everything. And now, listen, that comes with the caveat of in this life, you will suffer. In this life, everything that I throw you into is going to have severe opposition. And the more in tune you get with me and the more abandoned you get with me, the more the opposition comes. But it doesn't change the facts. You have everything you need for life and godliness. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Our portion being his love and his joy. All of those things are true. Yeah, but what about the circumstance? The circumstance has no bearing on his word. Remember Abram, God appears to Abram and I love this. You know, it's like he reveals himself to Abram and he basically says, I have this incredible destiny for you and your whole family. And it's gonna lead to your your inheritance being as numerous as as, 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 as the stars in the sky. And what it says is Abram was called to leave his hometown and go to a place where God did not reveal. And it says, and this, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. After God reveals, hey, I'm asking you to uproot yourself and go. And I'm not gonna tell you where to go. Just start moving. It says, so Abram went. And it's taken me many years to sit and understand the power of that moment. So Abram went. Well, how did, how did he know where to go? We didn't really know where to go. He just knew ultimately who he was following. He ultimately knew there's, there's one who has authority and his voice I will yield to. His voice I'll beckon to. His voice I will respond to. And sometimes we can so over-spiritualize the processes of our lives and we get people that come up to the pulpit and have great testimonies and, and listen, we're seeing God do truly historic, biblical proportion, you know, things in Africa and in the Middle East and all these places. And I could stand up here and spin things in a way that make you think, man, you know, Jake's, how's, how's Jake done this? How's Overland, you know, done this? Praise God that the revelation that has hit us and our leadership and our team is that we have We literally, the only thing we had to offer into this whole mix was, we believe. In fact, it's become a running joke in our team that, you know, Jesse and I have, and I think we've talked about it a bit, so I'm gonna gonna hope that you have some idea of of some of the work we've done and the, the fact that over the last 10 plus years of my life, I've worked a lot exclusively and many times with kings and queens of Africa and traditional leaders and government leaders and have sat with presidents and all these things. Guys, the amount of times that I've shown up for a meeting and visibly seen people look me up and down and get depressed (laughs) because they're like, certainly this isn't Pastor Jacob. The amount of times I've had security detail, men whose jobs it is to go in and make sure that the path is clear and safe for the incoming king, and they walk up to me, and as they're going to shake my hand, they're looking past me eagerly, waiting to see the man of God, only to be disappointed with the fact that it's me. 
And if I was in this thing, and if we as a team were in this thing for the plaudits and the popularity and the story, we could have written our little story long ago. We could have got ourselves in the big magazines and stuff. Guys, it has nothing to do with making ourselves anything anymore. Why? Because we came to that ultimate end at some point. At some point in our lives, we have to come to a place where we recognize this life is not about making my name great. It's about making his name great. And it's gonna come out of that moment where we recognize he's worthy. Jesus, there is no one like you. And in a moment of his presence, suddenly you recognize, wait a minute, everything I've longed for, everything I've yearned for, that bigger house and that nicer car and that, and that, 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 that massive amount of security savings that I could have, all of those things just dull in the light of his majesty. And then we realize, wait a minute, not only can I forever say, I am his and he is mine. But right now in this moment, I can say, what would you have me do? Right now in this moment, I can posture myself in a way to say, hey, I know there's a lot of people begging and crying out to you for things. What's on your heart? Father, what do you long for? And the thing that changed in my life was as I entered college, I just, I stopped caring about and I, and I say this as a blanket statement. Of course, every day you wake up, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, you follow him. It's not, that decision doesn't, there's not a magic red button where you ultimately enter into this thing and you never have to reassess it again. It's every day. It's every moment. It's every decision. But every time you choose him, it creates this muscle memory where, where you go, wow, that was a good decision. And, and, and at some point in your life, it becomes the habit of your soul shifts from choose me to choose Jesus. The habit of your soul, the, your mind, your will, your, your emotions begin to lean into that and it gets exciting. And then when opportunities present themselves, you don't have to say, let me go fast for three days and think about it and pray about it. You just go, yes, 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 yes. Why is our team right now getting to run through the nations of Africa with a, literally an open platter of nations saying, nations that are historically saying, we don't want anything related to the things of God, anything related to Jesus Christ in our nation. Why are those nations begging us, please come, please set up your mission bases? Because we got accustomed to saying yes. And believing that we had what it took, not because of any external factor, but because the word of God says so. I actually love, I love getting to testify in the US and in churches that I was born and raised in West by God, Virginia and I'm a redneck, and you know, my economy of life as I grew up was very depressed. And not many people you know, have got to leave our hometown because the opportunities weren't there, the finances weren't there. And people say, well, what was the, what was the recipe for you? How did you get out? How is it that you've traveled to 30 plus nations of the world? How is it your kids have visited 15 to 20 nations? Man, you must, God must have blessed you with some financial resource. No, we said yes to him. And we followed him and his plan for us was the nations. And so guess what? The nations have been given over. And as we've stayed true and faithful to the course and the path of his life and his destiny over us, it's been, I hate to say it, but it's true. It's, it's been just a flow. It's like, it hasn't been a struggle. There have been difficult moments. There have been difficult days. There have been difficult seasons. However, Every day you wake up and you posture yourself and you say, Lord, I present myself to you right now. According to Romans chapter 12, here I am, Lord God. I am in fact holy and acceptable because of your finished work. 
I am in fact rooted and grounded in the knowledge that I'm your child and I'm your son and I'm also your yes. God, whatever it is you would have me do, I'm available today. And it's learning that posturing isn't, isn't something you just do in a, in a church setting where there's a, there's a good anointing drummed up by the worship and the minister gets you to that moment and, and that's not the only place and the only time you posture yourself. That's a moment that's meant to be carried into the world. That's a moment that's meant to, that's a, that's, an, that's a spark that should turn into a flame. And that flame is your life. Sometimes we get this whole sovereignty concept really out of whack and we think, well, you know, God's really in control. So if he wants it done, he'll get it done. No, God's in command. And in his sovereignty, he's dispatched you as his emissary on this earth. Acts chapter one is very clear. When Jesus rose back from the dead and revealed himself to his disciples and they're all looking at him going, is now the time you're gonna come and fulfill all the promises? What does he say to them? No, but you, but you. He turns it right back on them. That moment had to have been insane for them because they knew what they were asking of him to do. They're saying all of the promises, all of the prophetic fulfillment of the Messiah on the earth throughout the whole of the, New Te- of the Old Testament. Are you gonna come fulfill that? And he said, no, the fulfillment and the establishment of my Father's kingdom is gonna come through you. But you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And I wanna submit to you, I know guys, I've got, I've got loads of energy and sometimes it's like, whoa, this guy's a little bit too much. I wanna tell you, for 21 years, I've staked my life upon the word of God. I've staked my family upon it, my marriage upon it, this team, this move of God, and we are watching God fulfill his word every single day in radical fashion. I thought in the early days that I was believing God for crazy big things when we said, we'll go to Africa. And and people all around us said, are you crazy? We sat with Pastor Mel today and said, we're believing God for a one and a half million dollar aircraft because so many doors are open right now. The itineraries of you know, public opportunities can't get us to places fast enough. We're believing God for a one and a half million dollar uh, boutique lodge for kings and queens to be built on our mission base because that many will come, sit themselves down and we're believing God for them to be able to come free of charge so that we can have an investment in their lives. Those things did not come out of one moment of inspiration. They came out of a volume of saying yes to the Lord, yes to the Lord, yes to the Lord, and him giving small things initially. But the reality is if you wanna shake nations, you start by shaking one person. And if there's anything you take away from a mission conference, please, I pray that the Spirit of God would hammer this into your heart that if you wanna be the kind of person that gets to say one day, I was part of a team that shook the nations, then what individual, what is, who is the individual that you're shaking right now? Because the volume of heaven, all of life and all of godliness and all, of the, all the fullness of God being poured into you was not given to you for your own personal gratification, for your own personal enjoyment, for your own personal fulfillment. It was given to you so that With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What are you measuring out? This is not about going to Africa. This is about your life on this earth being radically given over to the King of of Kings who made it very clear in the book of Acts that we live in the book of Acts church today 
that his administration of heaven, the administration of his kingdom is meant to come through you. And at some point you have to believe you have what it takes. At some point you have to believe that it wasn't just about having this like security in your back pocket going, at least I'm gonna get to heaven one day. What a farce the finished work of Jesus Christ is if that's all we believe in. What a farce the finished work of Jesus Christ is if we're saying, at least I know I'm getting to heaven. And he says, well, wait a minute. Not only did I secure heaven for you, I've secured, I've secured your ability to represent me as he is, so are we in this earth. We have the ability to express heaven. We have the ability in the most chaotic situations you've been planted in to represent peace to represent his love, to represent his power, to represent his authority. That is what he's talking about. And all you have to do is say, I believe. I couldn't have asked for a better testimony in Savior. And, and in fact, Savior, I mean it. It would have been worth going to Africa my whole life just to see your life fully alive in the things of God. It was worth it. It was worth it. And yet, what did it come out of? It came out of representing that gospel, representing that kingdom, representing the king, and a young person coming up, hearing some words and saying, I believe they're also true of me. And when we live it out, we reproduce it. It just happens. He's now working in DR Congo. The way we got into Congo was I was given a relationship about 12 years ago, and it was a taxi driver. And I sat with that taxi driver and I said, he spoke English and French. So I said, hey, can you take me into a very uh, um, uh, remote region? There's not mission activity. There's no gospel. Will you go with me and be my mouthpiece? And he did that for 10 days and he witnessed the signs and the wonders and miracles. And he came to me at the end of 10 days and said, I'm all in. I'll, I'll, whatever Jesus wants of me, I'll say yes. And I said, what's in your heart to do? What do you believe God's called you to do? And he said, I've always felt like I was meant to be a lawyer. So I said, okay, if I'm God's yes, and I'm, I'm the mechanism that God has planted on the earth to, to see people made alive, and I'm believing God to shake Congo, then this is the first Congolese person I have an opportunity to shake. I'm all in. Go to law school. We'll figure it out. We'll pay you your whole way. He went to law school. He was a taxi driver. He graduated first in his class. After graduating first in his class, he was immediately set at this crazy favor of God level in the city of Likasi where he, the, the, the staff and the university staff just brought all their cases to him. He was so good, so sharp at it that he, he did their work for them. Suddenly they're saying, hey, we need you to run as a minister of parliament. He got our organization set up and got us, got us able to enter and exit the country, which in a place like DR Congo is exceedingly difficult in record time. I spent years investing in Gaston and out of that investment, God birthed this nation shaker. And as it felt like I could see the, the trajectory of what his life was gonna become, I get a phone call one day, it's about six years into our relationship. And I'm told Gaston's just been killed. He was in a head-on car crash. He died on impact. And it feels like in those moments, you know, is this, is this the unraveling of an entire nation, an entire investment? And, uh, and fortunately, when you invest in someone a certain way, they do the same thing. And he had already begun reproducing the work of God in his life into another. And here we are today where we literally have the favor of the top kings of the entire nation 
The government knows us. We have properties being given to us where kings are coming out saying, no land can be given any longer because we don't want foreigners to come and pillage and take our resource. And then kings are sitting with us and saying, any land you want. Where do you want to set up? We must have overland missions here. Not because we're not coming and bringing in massive humanitarian uh, increase right away. We're bringing the gospel. We're saying the thing that transforms a nation is righteousness. The thing that transforms a nation is Jesus Christ being planted in the hearts of people and everything will develop from that point. And because it's done under the admonition of heaven, our words are not just our words, they come with the authority of heaven, with the authority of God. And we're watching people like Savior administrate heaven in DR Congo. Savior grew up as a, as a young man in, in Livingston. He was one of the young kiddos that you would have looked at in eyes of flesh and said, that poor kid is never going to have an opportunity. Poor, scrounging for food every day. And we assess people by the flesh too quickly when in fact God has given us the ability to assess people through the eyes of the cross. And through the eyes of the cross, the estimation of God upon every single life is you have the capacity to administrate my life. You have the, you have the resource of heaven behind you. It has nothing to do with your family name, with your skin color, with your passport. It has everything to do with faith. It has everything to do with the finished work of Jesus Christ. And one, one soul grabbing a hold of that and saying, that will be true of me. And so... Listen, tonight, I, I, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're, I hope you're pumped up. But ultimately, I want to challenge you. And my challenge is, many times we get excited about, no, I shouldn't say it that way. I want to challenge you on whether or not you're wholeheartedly given over to the things of God. And my understanding of the word is that Wholehearted um, doesn't need a, a massive Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew exploration. Wholehearted means you've given all. All is available and you put your complete and utter trust in Jesus Christ as King of Kings and as Lord of Lords in your life. And until you're willing to give your complete and utter trust, you're still determining whether or not Jesus is worth your life. Jesus is worth being followed. And for so much of my life, I was 60% in, 80% in, maybe on a really good rally weekend with a good conference, 98% in, but I always had that reserve. I always had those components that, that I held back that I thought, you know, if Jesus fails me, at least I've got this thing that provides a little bit of an insurance policy. And the day that you learn to take that thing and to put it at the altar and watch the fire of God snatch it up is the day that you get the opportunity to begin to walk in wholeness in freedom. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. What God has offered to you is never in part. It's always in fullness. What God has made available to you, if it's freedom, it's fullness of freedom. If it's authority, he's given you full authority over everything that stands in opposition to him. If it's love, he's given you the fullness of his love. He's holding nothing back. He only requires what he's already given first. And that's why the word of God is so important to understand. We love because he first loved. We choose him because he first chose us. We give all because he gave all. 
And that quality, when you believe unto that, what happens is, is what Paul says, for the love of God constrains me. Other translations say controls me. There comes that place where you believe the, not just the plan and purpose of God for your life, but you believe God to be who he actually is in the word to the extent that you, that you say, Lord God, not, not, only, not only am I ready to do something radical, I'm, I'm going to be a whirling dervish of, of activity and of yes before you. Guys, if there's anyone here for worship, you can come up. Uh, I want to just give an opportunity to, to pray. But there are moments in life where decisions have to be made and things have to be confronted. And I'm so thankful that Jesus confronted me in my mess. He did it in love, just the same way he did it to the adulterous woman. He came and he established her in love, but then he said to her, this is not who you are. Never return to this again. And in our commitment and our zeal before the Lord, some of us are so excited that at least we get forgiveness in heaven and you've missed the whole component of being restored unto a completely, utterly new image and a new ability to express all of heaven. I don't care if your father was an angry person or your father's father was an angry person, it's not who you are anymore. I don't care if you're a person who can't forgive easily, it's not who you are anymore in Christ Jesus. And I, I'm not a great counselor, admittedly. I, I'm not someone that's, that's great with that because I just so believe upon the word of God and the new creation reality that I know in a moment, everything can change. What typically could take 20, 30, 40 years or generations to unravel, God can do in one evening. He can do in one moment of, and all it requires is us coming into contact with his presence, coming into contact with his word and saying, I believe. And so while I realize that I'm preaching to the choir and many of you have heard these messages and it stirred your heart, I think there could be some of you tonight going, man, I needed the confrontation. I needed to, I needed to really consider deep down inside whether or not Jesus Christ is in fact worthy. And the reality is if he's worthy, what does that mean? Or what does it require of you? Simple answer is everything. If he's worthy, if the king's worthy, then it means, Jesus, I'm all in. And I'm not here to dictate the terms of that agreement. I'm just here to say, yes. And in saying, yes, Lord God, begin to move me. Begin to shake everything that can be shaken. Begin to break me out of my comfort zones. Begin to open up my eyes to see the unbelievable mission field that's all around me. Because remember, if you wanna shake the nations, you better start shaking your neighborhood. If you're believing God to shake children's, you know, whatever uh, overseas, you better be shaking children up right here where you are. Th these things are just, it's just the way it works. And I love a missions weekend where you begin to think, maybe I could end up in the field or maybe I could end up in the nations. But let me tell you, the seed that you're sowing for the nations is what you're doing right now in this place. And if you're not available now, you will not be available then. And again, I hope this is coming forth. Not just in a confrontational way, but in a way to say, there's so much available to you in Christ Jesus. Your life is capable of so exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you've ever hoped or dreamed of. Never in my life did I think that my life would culminate in 
the, the, the incredible team and family I get, to, I get to be a part of. Never did I think that I would get the pleasure of being connected to the greatest, the greatest team on earth, my opinion. Never did I think that I would get to be a part of one of the most significant moves of God that's sweeping through continents. And yet it all, none of it came out of coercion or manipulation. It was just saying yes to a small thing yes to another small thing, being the first to show up, last to leave. Those little principles, those little things. If I have any superpower, it's just, I just keep showing up. That's it. It's not a superpower. And sometimes this whole ministry thing gets weird because we present something that's unobtainable and and speakers like that, because then they get to be on the pedestal. Be very grateful you have a pastor that just annihilates that nonsense and that is unwilling and that wants you to understand that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You, you have the capacity to do exceedingly abundantly more than you've ever dreamt of in Christ Jesus. What you become in the hands of God as a fiery one, as one who is totally sold out, is is above and beyond. And it's the very thing that gave Jesus the confidence to say, but you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, will be my witness. Meaning instead of me going, I'm gonna send you in my stead. I mean, that's, that's, that's insane. And yet what it requires is for us to let go of everything that we've believed about ourselves up till this moment and to get rooted in the word of God and what he says about you and what he believes about you and what he's spoken over you because this is the truth. And it's a great exchange. Great, greatest exchange you'll ever make in life is laying down the lies that you've accepted to be true about yourself for the truths of God. Because again, they're not just theoretical statements. They will utterly transform everything about your life. You will live in his joy and in his love and in his presence and in his peace, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the darkness, regardless of what's going on. His standard becomes your standard. So let's stand up. I realize I'm already 12 minutes over. Um, But I just wanna give an opportunity for anyone who feels like, you know, I wanna just put, you know, we we talk about putting finance in the offering and, and, and what are you gonna put in the basket? What about your life? What about you just put your whole life in the basket and say, Lord, once and for all, I'm severing ties to every level of fear I've ever had. I trust you. I trust your leadership in my life. I trust that you have fulfilled in me everything I need to do the ministry you've given me here and wherever it is you send me. Those moments are are critical. Those moments make people radical because you begin to recognize that he is in fact faithful and true. You give him the opportunity to be expressed in you as he's always desired to be expressed. So I'm just gonna encourage if there's anyone here and we're gonna take a time just to worship. If there's a song you guys wanna lead us in, that would be amazing. But if there's anyone here who says, I just wanna put my life in the basket and I wanna say, Jesus, yes, I've followed you. Yes, you know, I've, I've considered your worthiness, but Oswald Chambers used to say, cut it off, my heart is bleeding and my spirit's wrung with pain, yet I hear my Savior pleading, cut it off or all is vain. There are things that need severed in our lives that are foxes that spoil the vineyard, that are hindrances that will leaven the whole lump eventually. 
and the peace of knowing I'm free. <laughs> the peace of walking in the freedom of God and the authority of God and the power of God. It's just, there, there's just, there's nothing like it, but it only comes out of wholeheartedness. It's, it's in response to our all being given. He's given all, he demands all, he's worthy. So if that's you tonight, I just wanna give you an opportunity to just come up and, and, and be honest with the Lord. I, I, don't, I don't even wanna make it about, you need hands laid on by a certain minister or whatever. If you wanna be prayed for, we'll pray for you. But this isn't about what, what can be conferred through the laying on of hands. This has to do about decision. This has to do about grabbing a hold of something by faith. And for many of you, this isn't about performance. Already in your head, you're thinking, oh, but I'll do better, God. No, I'm not talking about doing better. I'm saying, believe. Believe His Word over your life. You don't have to be bound up in this mechanism of thought any longer. It does not have to be your master anymore. Jesus Christ will set you free. And when He sets you free, He makes you an agent of setting others free. Hallelujah. So Father, I just... I thank you for this assembly tonight. I thank you for every person in this room. And I just ask Lord God, that by your spirit, that you and your authority will confront, reveal, express your love, God, reveal your purpose and your plan. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy, the same spirit of God that moved through the upper room 2000 years ago moves in us today. And I thank you, God, that by your power, not by our power, not by our mind, but by the spirit of God, Lord, that you will bring deliverance tonight, that you will confront long-standing principalities and powers that have had no right to rule and govern young minds. I thank you, Lord God, that you confront lies and deceptions that have been rooted in from the time people were young as children, that you'll expose lies tonight and let people walk in freedom based upon your word, your promise, your truth. Father, I thank you that you rule and reign in this place and that you rule and reign in my life, Lord God. Father, birth fiery ones tonight that are wholly given over to your plan and your purpose because they believe, they cling to your word, they're led by your spirit and that there is no obstruction because you've done the work, Lord God. We choose to celebrate the finished work of Jesus tonight. Let's worship and if it's in your heart to come and just present yourself as a free will offering. We open up the altar, feel free to do so. If you wanna be prayed for, feel free to grab myself or Pastor Mal or Pastor Kim or any of our team. We'll be happy, happy to pray for you as well. So let's worship. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.